In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack save the world. is a bia and she's very salty too you'll find out exactly what we mean here in a minute but before we get there i just want to remind you who i are who he is you already know and we're back to save the world again honestly seriously that's what we're here for take our word for it anyway <laughs> yes how's it, how's it going over there as our friends across the pond would say, it's going swimmingly. Or also, oi, there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, listening friends. Um, as always, we are glad you're here with us. And we're glad that you're deciding to donate 60-ish minutes of your time today, whatever day you might be listening to us. Hopefully it's the day we drop, but if not, it's fine, just as long as you're here. So we're and happy. Tell your friends. I tell found this great pro podcast. Listen to them. All their back episodes. All of it. All of it. All 66 in change of them. Yeah. And to make sure they did it, have them give you a five-paragraph essay of each episode. Correct. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, while you wait those, those essays from your friends, you can go ahead and... We browse our back catalog as well. We have enough episodes to actually be in syndication. So we're thrilled. But, that is um, true. And to show you how thrilled we are, we're going to keep it moving. On to the WT. Yes. And it is your week to go first, is it not? Um, I believe so. And listening friends, if you were with us last week, I think you kind of already know what I'm going to get into because if you've been following the news you know last week's WTF is most definitely still in effect in that the two Tennessee hmm, Congress people that were expelled last week over their involvement in a protest that involves school children who were concerned about lack of gun regulations, those two uh, congressmen were expelled. And wouldn't you know, they have both since been reinstated, both of them, in less than a week. Strange how that didn't work for the Republicans. Hmm. Um, Justin Jones was reinstated by an overwhelming vote of the Nashville Metro Metro Council, which is the area that he represents. Justin Pearson was reinstated by um, the vote of the Shelby County Board of Commissioners, which is the area that he represents. So Mr. Jones, 
reinstatement took place on Monday, which is about three days ago. And Mr. Pearson was just yesterday. So less yes. than a week. Less than a week it took karma to come back and bust somebody in the lip. Here's the absolutely ridiculous part. Not that this already isn't all ridiculous anyway. Remember last week how I mentioned there have only been two expulsions since 1980? Huh? Yes. Never mind that in that time, <clears throat> they have had representatives that were arrested on charges of domestic violence, have admitted to child molestation, and one even pissed in the seat of his fellow representative. All of them retain their seats yeah uh i i have a sneaking suspicion that all of those people are uh share the same skin tone i do a distinct possibility sir <clears throat> well i don't know if you saw this but here's a little bit of something and i wonder if they're gonna vote to expel this guy because apparently the speaker of the house for the tennessee legislature doesn't actually live in his district correct and he lives in is it justin jones district i can't remember exactly what but the, the point being he does not live in the district that he's supposed to represent no yeah i know it was in the district of one of the one of the two that got voted out yes um and i don't see a movement to kick him out because He's not, you know, the whole point of being a representative for your district is that you live in said district. Mm-hmm. One would think. One would think. But yeah. okay. With these, you know, just those few examples I mentioned, and of course with the, the Speaker of the House, his may not be as plain. It's not, it's not morally accurate. It's not morally correct. But you talk about somebody who literally went and pee-peed on someone else's seat. That's childish. That's also disgusting. And you mean, yeah. <laughs> you mean to tell me that that didn't warrant something? Right. Like just a good old whoop-ass behind the building after session is over. Something. <laughs> Exactly. But you wanted to go ahead and kick these two, tease two young men out. Okay. If 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 we didn't already know what this was about, this makes it even more blatantly obvious. But okay. Yeah, and ironically enough, I was thinking about this uh, Monday, mm. and that was, you know, if you ever wanted to take somebody who, not that they couldn't have, you know, moved up to, you know as a federal rep or federal, you know, a senator at the Fed level or whatever. For the most part, that's something that takes a bit of time before you kind of get the notoriety to move up to that point or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think they just made it to where either one of those two fellas could run for Senate or, you know, federal rep. Mm -hmm. And they, they've got that notoriety now. Yeah. Hello? So, they may have just moved them from not to be like a, you know, a run of the mill state legislature to now they might be national forefront leaders <laughs> at the federal level. So their stunt may have doubly backfired <laughs> from their perspective, not 
decent people's perspective because I feel they would make excellent legislators at the federal level. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> and frankly, I love I love to see it. I love to see the rest of them in there eating crow or whatever it is they're choking on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But okay. I'm okay. I'm thinking they're choking on a white cloth material. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tennessee is the birthplace of the clan. Gosh. How yeah. can we ever forget? Durr. And oh, the one thing though that through the whole ordeal, I think I saw this Friday, um, not when we finished recording last Thursday. I think I saw it on Friday, was that one legislature and the way he was talking to I think it was Justin Jones. Yes. Mm -hmm. That just infuriated me because he was talking to him in such a dehumanizing matter. He was not, he was not respecting him a, as an adult first and foremost, but he was, he was treating him like he was talking to a seven-year-old and just the way he was doing that to me was just like, yeah, this shows you this guy's true. This guy's racist to the, bone because i promise you he wouldn't have spoke to someone the same age who was white that's not how he would have spoke to him it, he, he was contemptible yeah. and i think i read somewhere all he had to do to get that flourish on it was just throw a boy at the end of it and that would have done it because you know yeah. he wanted to. it was oh. either going to be that word or another one yeah <laughs> and as I was listening to that, I was just like, hmm. oh, my God. And the way uh, Representative Jones handled that mm -hmm. was such a a huge amount of, like, dignity. Because it, I'm sure internally he was he was as pissed off as I was. Was it the in the well speech where he said, you know why you're down the well today? Something I think like that. something like that. But okay. his response was basically, you wouldn't talk to the other members of this chamber like you just spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And his reply was very, just so calm. And I don't know if I would have been able to keep that. And to me, that's the impressive thing that he, he was the adult in the room. Because I would have been... Most people would have been furious if someone spoke to you like that. But in this case, it's even worse because of all of the, you know, the undertones and all of that stuff. And I applaud his calmness. It reminds me of, you know, just about this time last year um, during the confirmation hearings. Yeah. I hadn't thought how, about that. How well she stayed composed and how, how that has been one of the most do I say detrimental? I don't know any other word for it. One of the most detrimental expectations of black professionals is that no matter how someone comes at you, you are obligated to remain professional and, and calm. Yeah. For yeah, what? That, that was something I was thinking about too is sort of the double standard that you know if i was in that situation and then i went off and started screaming and cussing and doing all of that 
would people be ticked off maybe if I was dropping F-bombs or whatever on the floor of, you know, the house? Yeah, but that would have been it, right? But if he would have done the exact same thing I would have done, that would have just been, oh my God, can you believe that he broke the decorum of this body? And, you know, and I can't believe that he got so upset and they'd be like, well, you heard how he was being spoken to, right? Yeah, but he should have maintained a sense of decorum. And and a matter of fact, this kind of leads into, and I'm trying not to get too far off the rails. Because, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we were actually, this is something I, I mentioned to you last week about um, the expectation of having to remain civil even when you are upset or disappointed or hyped up and excited and i brought up um the basketball the basketball game the women's ncaa uh finals game between lsu and iowa state and how one young lady off the lsu team was talking smack it's basketball they talk smack in basketball forever but she took a lot of grief because people wanted to call her unsportsmanlike and immature because she, you know, she did some gestures. She didn't, she wasn't disrespecting anybody. She wasn't calling anybody other names. She did exactly what basketball players have always done, including one of the players on the opposing team had just done in an earlier game in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Everybody said that girl, she has swag. She's so confident. But when this young black lady does pretty much the same thing, she's so unsportsmanlike. She's so unprofessional. Oh, my gosh. I mean, she may play very good, but she didn't have to do. Why? She can't be hyped and excited. She's supposed to she's supposed to remain calm. And again, it leads again. Yeah. All the way back now to a month and change ago at this year's Oscars when Miss Angela Bassett didn't win for Best Supporting Actress. She was disappointed. And people gave her grief all over the internet because she didn't applaud for the winner in that category. That woman was upset. And you act like she's the only person that ever didn't give the winner in the category some applause. She is not the first person to have done that. Yeah, especially in that moment. In that moment. What do you want from her? What do you want from anybody having a human moment? But But for us, it's always the expectation if you... If you go too far out of bounds, whether it's a positive emotion or negative one, people don't know how to take you. And all of a sudden, you make people nervous. So you need to keep it in check. Fuck all that. I've I've been accused of that. Women I know personally have been accused of that. Mm -hmm. You're being rude. You're being disrespectful. No, I'm not. I'm being just as assertive as you are. But you just assume for some reason, all of a sudden, I'm threatening. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm back on the yeah. tracks. Okay. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I just want to clarify from like my perspective when I'm talking that it's, I would not have been able to keep my calm and composure in that situation. And mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to me, it was, I'm applauding the ability to keep this calm and composure regardless of, you know, who was in that situation because that's just, wrong you know to talk to anyone like that but in this case it's even worse you know knowing the whole everything and to be able to keep calm to me is just an i don't know 
I applaud that because I couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, I get what you're saying, but think about the fact that no one considers you that much of a threat. And this is not right. disrespectful. No one considers you that level of a threat if you do. Right. That's, that's my why. point. Mm-hmm. On its own, being able to keep the calm is impressive. But mm-hmm. I would, you know, that's not even including all of the other stuff that goes with it. Sure. Which makes it even more. But mm-hmm. he's, at the same time, it's almost, once again, it's that underlying unspoken racism that's out there mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't want to admit is out there but it is it totally is yeah yeah and i, and I get that <laughs> just thinking about like the events of this past week it just made me just it just it makes me tired because it's shit i have seen over and over again in some iteration or another and even have have had the experience in my own life or or people that i've known it's like why yeah and why can't we flip out right and oh. it's the same underlying <laughs> issue as when you know the black guy gets pulled over mm-hmm. yeah i could be somewhat sarcastic to a cop and generally all i will get is a, the ticket instead of a warning mm-hmm. if you get sarcastic with the cop and you're black there's a solid shot you ain't going home <laughs> unless it's your ashes and i'm you know kind of laughing as i'm saying that but that's just like a nervous laugh you know no i mean i i get it and i'm sure i'm sure listening friends they get it too if they've been with this they know but it's i don't know when i mean when you when you've lived for it for so long it stops being (gasps) kind of moments then you're just like oh this shit again oh yeah Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Back on the rails and I'm turning it over to you, (laughs) sir. (laughs) All right. Well, Mm. mine is frustrating, but it's frustrating for a different reason. (laughs) So according to the new reporting from MSNBC, uh, who's the person that did this by Zishan Alim. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Kenneth Griffin, a hedge fund titan and the 35th richest person in the world, recently donated $300 million. Me? Oh, shit. No, it was not us. Because <laughs> you would not be recording this podcast with me right now. <laughs> no one. Maybe, maybe you, maybe you and my sister wife, along with my family might know no one else would know where i was <laughs> right <laughs> that's it but Don't anyway <laughs> it's not that he donated 300 million dollars it's who he donated it to he donated it to this struggling barely able to pay the janitorial staff university called harvard of oh, that little hole in the wall yes now in exchange, they did name the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences after him. And it's only the third time they've named something after a donor since 1638. But here's the thing. He's already donated to Harvard another $150 million in 2014. So now we're at, you know, half a billion dollars to Harvard whose endowment fund has over $50 billion in it 
which is larger than the gross domestic product of at least 90 countries. Think about that. Harvard has more money than 90 countries on this planet. And this dude just gave them another 300 million. On the one hand, it's his money. He can do what he wants. Correct. On the, on the other bigger <laughs> hand, why? Yeah. So if you want to give it to education, I'm sure that you could have gone to X number of schools and given, you know, $25 million to all of these schools, and it would have been actually needed and useful Hello. for the state of these, you know, colleges and universities. That could have done a ton. But, you know, to me, more importantly, what would $300 million do for some of these charities that are out there? Hello. Right? How many people could you feed with that money? Um, you, yeah, we're talking about we're talking about soup kitchens, food banks. We're talking about housing the unhoused. And if you yeah. don't want to go there, still stay in the realm of education. We're talking about going to public schools in some of these marginalized neighborhoods that don't get their fair share of, of funding. Build a library. Start an after-school arts program. Do some sport, something. Yeah. But you give it, you give it to the little community college. Yeah, that struggling little university called Harvard. Okay, again, it's his money. He can do what he wants. But I just damn. feel that that damn. money could have been used for so many things. You give a soup kitchen a million dollars, how many years is that going to last them? You know? You think about the unhoused, which is a chronic issue in this country that doesn't, it's like gun control on a different scale, but similar in the way that there are so many factors that work into why it is at the level that it is. Right. Lack of mental health services, lack of affordable housing, shitty minimum wage standards, shitty jobs. Yeah. If you really wanted to do, you know, okay, I want to do education. You could probably go to, I don't know, pick the five worst school districts in the United States, wherever. I don't, I don't know where they are. I don't give a crap what state they are, just wherever they are. Mm -hmm. You could probably go to those five school districts and you could probably say to them, I'm donating you this much money. We're going to rebuild your high school. We're going to rebuild your middle school. We're going to rebuild your elementaries. And give, give, every, give every kid that gets a 3.2 grade average and above, they have a scholarship to go to a four-year college of their choice. Something. That makes a big difference, not giving it to Harvard because what's Harvard going to do? They're just going to put it in their, in their fund and or, let it just get interest. They're not going to actually use it. Right. Or like Eddie Murphy said in raw, we just going to put it with the rest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not going to use that money for anything. It's just going to collect interest. Like they don't already have 
who knows how many more other billionaires giving them annual donations for random things just because like they don't already have that but okay yeah i okay. i would have to guess that the interest what did it say there uh their 50 billion dollar endowment i would have to estimate that the interest on that is more money than i will make in a lifetime and that's like one month's worth of interest yeah mm-hmm. you know help thousands or help make thousands of you know in interest it's a mind blower it it doesn't it doesn't do any good and how many kids if you said okay this school district you get this grade bad point average you get your four years of school paid for that changes not only the trajectory of those kids but the future of the country because now you have all of these kids that are going to have you know something that they can turn around and parlay back into the good of society that's that's the key word, the good of society. They're not concerned about that. They're concerned about maintaining the status quo, i.e. Right. making sure the 1% stay the 1%. And if they can continue to give money to an institution that historically has turned out people who end up in the 1% of the 1%, then why not continue to do that? Why yep. would you try to give a, why would you try to give a helping hand or lift up um people and kids that may one day be a benefit to the greater society, to the greater good, because you don't want that. You want to keep the 1% exclusive. So yeah, it would make sense that he would do that and not, you know, divvy it up and be able to do more good among more institutions. No, no. Keep those people right where they are. Yep. Yeah, that was just frustrating to me because it just seems like a a waste. I I itch. Like, I'm itching right now. Yeah. 50 million that I itch. I just, uh... yeah. Tied to this of giving to help people, um, did you happen to see commercials for the new Jeremy Renner show on Disney Plus called Renovations? Yes. So Heather and I watched the first two episodes last night. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's one of those, hey, we're doing it for TV. I believe this is actually Jeremy Renner because the dude has like a one acre lot filled with all of this equipment that he buys from government auctions so that he can pay to have it repurposed and he donates it to communities. First of all, shout out Jeremy Renner. I'm so glad he's doing better. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, I, I saw that and and I like I like watching Renault shows. And I thought about giving it a try. So that's a good endorsement yeah, to know it, that it's he's, worth it. he's not doing it just for the cameras. That's actually his, that's actually who he is. Yeah. And something it, tells me, and I may be wrong. He's probably always done this, but he probably feels even more a certain way now. Yeah. Apparently he has, because I guess the, I guess Tahoe, whatever it is where he lives, where the accident happened and he was in that hospital. Mm. When they took him home in the ambulance, it was in an ambulance that he had donated to the city. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. Those kinds of things make a huge difference in, in your everyday average neighborhoods. Right. Like like you said, refurbing ambulances and emergency vehicles, um, cleaning up and renovating a, a playground or a park. 
Like those kinds of things. Yeah. The more I think about, I feel like, I feel like the Joker now in the dark night where he sets that stack of money on fire and just dances. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 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 But I guess that, I mean, he does. That's a, how many communities are so small they can't afford, you know, buying a new fire truck or an ambulance. Right. So he goes and buys them from government auctions. And let's be honest, the maintenance on this city equipment like that is always excellent. Mm-hmm. And just because it doesn't work for Dallas doesn't mean that it won't work for, you know, Delhart, Texas. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I just, I don't know. I, that's going to make me itch, I think, for the rest of the rest of the night, maybe the rest of the week. I just, <laughs> I, I just feel some kind of way about it. I mean. Do you want me to Instacart you some Benadryl? I mean, I got stuff <laughs> over here. <laughs> But, yeah figuratively it'll make me itch it's just yeah I just, <laughs> and just think i finally caught up there are only three episodes in but i finally caught up with um succession last night and like i always have been for the last three seasons and now into the fourth season i always just shake my head i'm like these people are the one percent of the one percent and they are absolutely miserable yeah <laughs> they're all assholes and they're completely miserable and i don't know why i feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah they're like they have an obscene amount of money what are they doing with it like listening friends if y'all have any ideas let us know what would you do with 50 million freaking dollars yeah would, it, would you be like Brewster's millions and try to spend it all in 30 days or something <laughs> right well, you know, there is a certain point where dollar-wise, it doesn't matter anymore, right? Right. Like, there's a certain high. I don't know. You know, is there a difference between having $100 million and $200 million? No. No. Is there a difference between making thirty-five k a year and hundred k a year? Yes, it's huge. Yes. <laughs> It's like saying, is there a difference between a 13-year-old and an 18-year-old? Heck yeah. Is there a difference between a 30-year-old and a 40-year-old? Not a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> it becomes relative at a certain point. And in the case of 13, 18-year-old, it's legal. But we're not going there. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I just, that is blowing my mind. It really is. I, I, I see, He had his reasons, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Let him have it. If he sleeps good at night. Or as we like to say in the community, if he likes it, I love it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, that was my WTF. And it oh, was wow. more of a huge opportunity to help so many people. Yeah. Missed. Well, we'll do we'll we'll continue to do what we can here. So on this lower level. So yeah. So <laughs> what was this fella's name again? Uh Kenneth Griffin, if you're listening, you done fucked up, son. Just keeps happening. It just keeps it. Kenneth Griffin. Let me go make a note. <laughs> I can't. I just. Oh, boy. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. So, ladies and gentlefolk, or just gentle folk in general. I'm just going to assume if you're listening to this, you're a gentle folk. 
Mm, indeed. Or you don't have to be. We don't judge. That's true. You know, you do you. Just as long as it keeps you out of jail and others out of the hospital. Correct. And just as long as you're not setting $50 million on fire. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're continuing pop culture. April. That's what month we're in, right? Yes, April. Yes, yes. We've talked movies. We've talked music. And today we're going to talk books. Oh. Yeah. You know, those little weird things that are made of trees that have. inspire your imagination. And they have letters that make words, that make sentences, that make paragraphs. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm kind of looking forward to this. I actually had a hard time because it's like, I like so many books, but Indeed. I narrowed it down. I finally decided maybe I should start with books that I've read more than once. That's a good place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that means I probably like it. You tend to not read things a second time if you thought it sucked. Sometimes I don't even finish it the first time, but you know. <laughs> exactly. It happens. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I guess, let's see, last week, I guess you went first last week, so I guess we no, should probably plot this stuff. Uh, did I? Yeah. I don't, I don't think it matters, but go ahead, go first. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not I mean, picky. Oh, God, don't be bitter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack and I did not tell each other what books we were going to talk about, so we get to surprise each other today. Yes. And I'm I'm pretty sure he's gonna be a little surprised. So I I had already landed on two books. One serious, one not so much. And finally I said, let's just stay in the vein that we're in and keep it light. So I went with the less serious book. It's a work of fiction that came out in 2006 called World War Z, an oral history of the zombie war. By Max Brooks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listening Excellent friends, book. Yes. Listening friends, um, if you don't already know, they made a movie out of this in 2013 starring uh, one of my husbands in my head, Brad Pitt. And the movie was okay. You know, the book was better. In this instance, we can say the book was better because the book is formatted in a series of interviews and transcripts and first-person accounts of the literal zombie apocalypse and of course it's fiction but it's so well written and put together you would not realize that what you were reading was people talking about the zombie apocalypse yeah so it goes it has like different parts of the book it starts out with they talk to the doctor in there's a doctor in china that found who was apparently the patient zero in this little tiny village. He talks about when he encountered the patient zero and then the interviews go from there. They talk to scientists and doctors and military men and ordinary citizens and like, like a plethora of different, different uh, citizens around the world. Yeah. That have at some point or another been affected and, and the, the gist is, and they make a really good, um, or they have, it, they he writes in such a convincing way, especially how he explains uh, certain steps that certain governments took 
to try to mitigate the losses. I want to say it was uh, the South African government that had this plan in place where they were literally going to take a group of, I guess, quote unquote, lesser than citizens and put them all in a space to serve as bait to lure the zombies there and then isolate them so the rest of the country can remain safe. And it was a messed up plan. But then it like caught on in other countries and other governments. And it's it's wild the way the author explains it because it actually sounds like something somebody's government has thought of. That's what's creepy. <laughs> obviously, <Right? laughs> obviously, it's not going to be a zombie apocalypse. Whatever kind of, I'm sure somebody has a plan on paper in a safe somewhere that requires fingerprints and eyeballs and keys to open up. But somebody has a contingency plan <laughs> somewhere. If this happens, we're going to have to sacrifice a few to save the many. It's wild, but it's a well done book. And I think, I think I, it's one, it's one of the books I actually bought. I think I had gotten it out of the library and I loved it so much. I went out the next week after I finished it and bought it. And I, I read it like maybe once a year, every year and a half. And it's like, it's like, I never read it before. That's how much I enjoy it. Yeah. But it's creepy. Cause you literally, there's one, there's one interview in the book where the interviewee is a soldier who was on the front lines battling zombies somewhere in Brooklyn. I think it's Brooklyn, New York. And he's describing the scene where you have rows of soldiers trying to hold back a wave of zombies coming up the street. And like the, the, the description of the battle scene is, is wild. It's like something that you might read of an actual battle somewhere. Like in real right. life. It's yeah. wild. It's absolutely wild. Yeah. Um, and I think he, he did a follow-up book called The Zombie Survival Guide. Yes. Um, which is fun. It was funny as well. And just, and it was just as serious toned, but still tongue in cheek. But listening friends, if you like your fiction and you don't mind a little horror thrown in with it, this is the book. And it's, and to be honest, it's less a horror, it's less a horror story than it is real life accounts of what people would do if mm -hmm. something like this were to happen. If there was a sudden and all eclipsing event that killed multitudes of people quite quickly and quite suddenly it could be anything yeah yeah you just remind me i need to go back and read that book now that we're in a post-covid world and see yeah. how that changes my perspective of that book <laughs> and this is where i got and me and jack to talk about this a couple of times this is where i got the idea of the 10th man from because there's um I can't remember what, who who the character was. I think he was a part of. I think he was a part of some some government, or some think tank in Israel or something like that. And they had um, he was describing how he was a part of this think tank, trying to figure out solutions and how to protect their people. And he was called referred to as the tenth man. So if there were ten people and nine people agreed on a course of action he had to find an opposing view and poke holes in it. Regardless mm -hmm. of whether or not he actually believed it, he actually had to poke holes in it to test how sound of a theory it was. 
And that's where I got the idea of the 10th man. And people laugh at me when I say I'm doing the 10th man. And they're like, what? I'm like, I'm about to poke holes in it just to see if it holds water. This is nothing personal. <laughs> yeah. And you need people to do that. So that's what I say. But um, this was, it's a thoroughly enjoyable book. Like I said, it's, it's based on something, you know, absolutely impossible zombies but replace zombies right. with nuclear or viral or whatever and you could probably you could probably have the same outcome you would probably get the same stories and the same progression of a, a pandemic which is really what this ends up being it's something that's getting spread from person to person to person a bit by bites but <laughs> yeah i i just can't imagine a world where people wouldn't want to do things to help save their fellow humans from a virus imagine. i couldn't imagine that just oh. that just seems wacky absolutely it's wild it's wild um i'm looking at a little outline right now the book is some parts that i'm i'm remembering uh there's a part where they talk about the united states president has a nervous breakdown <laughs> <laughs> And the vice president and the cabinet have to invoke section four of the 25th amendment and remove him from office. If only. Ugh, <laughs> right. <sighs> but um, they even have an account of astronauts seeing what's happening from the international space station. It's wild. When I say they're all different sorts of perspectives in this book, it's wild. And really, if this is not too much of a leap, you, you'll tell me if it is. It just reminds you of how we're all more alike than we are different. Because this book talks to different people of different nationalities, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different religions. And they're all talking about the same world altering event. Yep. It's ridiculous. And it's, so, it's, just, it's such a good book. Now, the way they did the movie, like I said, it was an okay movie. The only thing in common was the name and zombies. Yes, that's it. <laughs> it went from it went from like the first person interview accounting format to like a straight traditional movie with, you know, your main protagonist and like you said, tons of CGI zombies and someone got something cut off and they found a virus which makes them um, invisible and blah, blah, and blah. Right. I'm sorry, spoilers. Anyway, <clears throat> when they announced they were doing that movie, my thought at the time was, "Wow, oh, yeah." It, if ever there was a book that you know was going to be put into you know a, a visual format, that was a book set for TV because yes. each chapter could be its own episode of the show. Some chapters would be two episodes, maybe three. Mm -hmm. Some would only be one. Mm -hmm. And you make it take place over the course of like two years, two seasons, and it covers the book that way. You know, going into it, hey, it's limited. Some chapters, you know, some episodes, two-parters. That's the only way to do it because each chapter is so different from the one before it. Mm-hmm. Because it's actually tracking before, during, and afterward. Yeah. So, yeah, that would have been the perfect format to do episodically and it wouldn't necessarily have to be a season it could be episode per or two episodes per chat or however 
yeah. you know, the pen take it, take the, the best, the best first person accounts out of each one. <clears throat> I think there's, oh, there's one of the first person accounts where they go and talk to a woman in a psychiatric ward. And the woman is, she's nonverbal. Well, she's somewhat nonverbal, but she's she's regressed to like the emotional state of like a six-year-old mm-hmm. because she witnessed her family and most of the people around her get attacked. I think they're hiding in a church mm-hmm. and her or all the people around her get attacked and killed by the zombies. And so she's like regressed emotionally and intellectually back to a child. And even though I first read the book, I tried to listen to the audio book. It... I'm sorry, I wasn't, it didn't do much for me, but just reading the book and imagining how they describe how she sounds that she's telling the story of what happens, it's eerie. It's absolutely chilling. And I can absolutely see them taking that to the small screen. Yeah. Like they could literally do it in found footage, the entire show in found footage format. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it would go off. And I, yeah. I was kind of shocked that they didn't do it that way. Of course, when the movie came out, there weren't the plethora of streaming services that there are now. Mm-hmm. Now would be a good time for a streaming service to get the rights to that and remake it and have it actually done correctly to the book. I'd say either Prime could do it or Apple Plus. Yeah. Because HBO's, they've just done it with The Last of Us. So yeah, they can't, they can't do another zombie show. <laughs> they already have season two of that coming up, you know, in the next five years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Whenever it happens. Whenever it happens. We'll, we'll, we'll be yeah. here waiting. But that's my pick for one of my rereadables. Excellent pick. All the time. So listening, friends, if you've never heard of it, I'm glad to enlighten you. However you read your books, if you if you rent them, if you ebook them, whatever the case may be, go all run out. If it sounds interesting to you at all, I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Hmm. I concur. So I concur. And, and you have. So I'm going with um in this case, it is actually a trilogy, but it is essentially one long book. Um it would have been a huge book had it been, you know, done together. And um, this trilogy is by an author named it's a it's a dude named Stan, Kim Stanley Robinson. The first book came out in 1994. No, sorry, 1992. And the first book is called Red Mars. The second book is called Green Mars, and the third book is called Blue Mars. And it is about how it is the first uh, trip of humanity to Mars. It's quite big. Well, let me rephrase. It's the first trip where people are staying and not going back. So they're colonizing it with the ultimate goal of terraforming Mars to make it blue. Uh, Spoilers, the title of the third book should tell you that they did it. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and say yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so... um, it takes place, the first crew that sort of lands there, it's roughly, I want to say, 20, 25 people in there, people with different types of, you know, skills. There are construction people and engineers and doctors. 
and all of that. And the guy that sort of led the whole mission uh, was one of the astronauts that had gone to Mars previously, but now he's colonizing Mars. Because in this case, you aren't coming back to Earth when you get there. You're there permanently. And so it's sort of the first book kind of covers them building like this first settlement and all of the issues that sort of come with that and how difficult it is. And, you know, sort of the you get there, you just got to build something to start off with and then start building, you know, like the upgraded better stuff. The second book then sort of deals with you have all of the original people, but meanwhile, all of these other people are coming to colonize Mars, whereas like the first group was an international group of people. After that, what happened was each country started sending their own group of colonizers to Mars, which of course leads to conflict. Um, no, as man. what happens because we're people. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> you know, which leads for, you know, to conflict. But at the same time, they're doing things to terraform Mars to make it more Earth-like. And then the third book is sort of the struggle and how they do certain things, you know, to keep it blue. Now there's I want to say when the third book ends, it's been like 50 years or something like that. Um, but as I went back and pulled some information, I actually discovered that um, Red Mars takes place in 2026. We better get a move on and shit. Right, because we haven't even sent our first people there. <laughs> our first group of astronauts. Um, but I was just like, oh, holy cow. That I didn't realize that it was... 2026 of course i read it back the first time back in the 90s isn't it amazing how optimistic writers were back then because they really thought we were going to have some stuff yeah yeah no <laughs> kidding i'm trying to see if it tells me how long of a distance was between uh blue Mars. uh does it say in this summary uh let's see it does not Anyway, there's been a decent length of time because at this point there are multiple cities, you know, probably 100,000 people living on Mars. Uh, naturally, they don't all get along. And then there's also a fourth book in the series, but it is different in that it is a series of short stories. It's like 20 short stories that he wrote um, that are some existing characters from the first three books it's like oh this is what they were doing during this time frame and then some of the other ones are completely new characters just for these short stories mm -hmm. um but it's kind of amazing on how well some of it has in terms of if we were to actually go and colonize and do stuff on mars how well some of the technology he foresaw has held up i'm saying from that long ago it's kind of crazy um mm. of course other parts of it are completely you know gibberish yeah because there's there's like no internet <laughs> you know the <gasps> way it would be for real <laughs> you mm. know nowadays and just you know sort of stuff like that but it's it's definitely it's a it's an interesting book there are a lot of interesting characters and there are some characters that as i'm reading it I'm just like, I cannot stand that guy. That guy is a complete and utter asshole. <laughs> it, you know, a lot of good characters like that. Now, there is one part that is completely 
just unbelievable and wouldn't happen. Mm. And um, that is there was like a stowaway on the ship that they were, uh, you know, as they go to Mars and he's a stowaway colonizer. And that doesn't essentially work because one of the crew members helped him be a stowaway on that. And when you do something like that on a mission like that, you're essentially cutting your food stocks down by however many people because you have to tabulate, you know, it's a six month journey. So now all of a sudden, you know, they know this is six months worth of food for each body with ex extra. And now you're cutting down the extra and all of that because you didn't factor in anything for this other person. And it also puts extra work for the, you know, oxygen scrubbers and all of that junk. So I don't think anyone would actually sneak somebody on the ship like that. But it made for an interesting subplot. Oh yeah, we got a we got a stowaway right here. So yeah. let's do what we can. Hell no. <laughs> Somebody's got to go. I don't know what I don't know how you gonna figure it out. Yeah, when are y'all are gonna have to go out the airlock here? <laughs> maybe maybe both of y'all. Cause frankly, I'm just I'm over it. Just go. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely I know it's an older book, but that doesn't mean that it's not you know, still worthy of being read. People oh. still read Foundation and all of that stuff. And it is a great science fiction work of art that while fiction, a lot of it is still really based quite a bit in science. Yeah, no, I wouldn't discount it just because it's an older book. Not at all. That's some of the best reading there is, especially yeah. when you, like you said, you read some of the, the speculation. I love speculative fiction. They speculate this is what's going to happen 50 years, 60 years, 100 years from now, and you're like, huh, we're nowhere near that. But then again, the way you read it, it makes sense that one day it could happen. I love stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And <clears throat> honestly, I know it took place in 2026, but if you change it to 2046, it's a lot of what he has in there is probably fairly feasible on what, what it, it actually would be like. So gonna look into that i'm gonna as soon as i finish up rereading uh what i'm on now listening friends it's the graphic novel series for the boys just so you know um <laughs> i'm going to switch over and start reading those and now that you've mentioned that that reminds me of um an obvious similar book that I absolutely enjoyed, even though I didn't, I didn't understand half of the science speak, and it was The Martian. Oh yeah. Um, and then I listened to the audiobook, and the guy who did the audiobook was fantastic. But the author that wrote um, The Martian also wrote his latest book, which came out last year, Project Hail Mary. You want to read that? Okay. That is excellent. I will excellent. download that bad mamba jamba. And there's um, you'll know when you get to the part. There's a description of a a spaceship in there that is utterly, just like we were talking, utterly unbelievable. But then he gets into in into describing how it works, and you're like, that makes sense. Yeah. Even though I barely understand the basics of physics, I get gravity, and whatever is traveling in a forward motion must continue to travel forward. That's about all I know. But I actually understood the way he described 
you know, how this particular right. space vehicle worked. I was like, I like this guy because that's how he breaks it down. He makes it understandable for simpletons like me. So, <clears throat> so that's my recommendation to you. But yes. I would definitely check these this series out. Yep. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I love the series. Like I said, I have read it. Phew, I have no idea how many times I've read it. Honestly, mm. I read it. I well, I took the three books with me when I got deployed to Kuwait. Oh, there you go. Okay. Read it there, and I've read it several times since then. So, since we're talking about series books, off the top of your head, can you think of another series? that you've enjoyed just any genre it doesn't matter yeah i for the life of me i still have these books um they're packed in a box somewhere that's why i couldn't go and look it up i actually considered this book i believe the second book is called procreon's promise and that's a star and basically mm. uh, the premise of this book is an ancient civilization sends out probes in every direction looking for life. This probe pops up in the our solar system. And it is like, hey, here's all this great technology. You guys can now be starfarers <laughs> and stuff like that. And of course, because we're people, <laughs> there's conflict that arises. <laughs> but I read oh. that book initially when I was like 16 or 17, the series. It's it's a it's only two books in the series. And um I just always always like those books. I've read them a couple times. They're probably more young they would probably be considered young adult books now. And then when uh Duncan was like 13, he was wanting to read some books and I said, "Hey, I always loved these books. Why don't you read them?" And then it turned out that he loved them just as much as I did, which is kind of cool. <laughs> say say this out on you. I believe it's called Procreon's Promise, but I could be wrong because there's another book that's very similar, but instead of it being Earth, it's a planet where they're like in this dark region of space and they think there's like their star, their planet, no other stars. They were human colonizers, but they've been there for like 10,000 years and they've forgotten like all of the rest of the galaxy exists. And then a probe comes there. And so I might be confusing the title with that other book due to similarities. Interesting. Speaking of planets, and this is completely offside. I, I'm pretty sure that while there are people that still believe the Earth is flat, there are also people that believe that... Earth is the only planet right. in the solar system. They don't believe there's other planets. Well, I mean, if you don't believe the Earth is round, why would you believe Jupiter exists? It makes my head hurt. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. Like, we've been fooled. We were fooled. There was no moon landing. There are no eight other planets. Or seven-ish other planets. Yeah. There are no other solar systems or galaxies or universes. It's all it's all propaganda. <laughs> it's all fake. They're just doing that, you know, just just to screw with us. They're trying to distract us from from the real issue. Stay woke, everybody. <sighs> right. Oh. 
Oh, hey, I found it. The first book is called Life Probe. It was written in 1983. The sequel is Procreon's Promise 1985 by author Michael McCollum. Okay, cool. And hopefully I didn't just, once again, confuse two separate book titles, but I believe this is 100% accurate in my description. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it. So yeah, that's definitely something to check out as well. Okay. <clears throat> Nifty. Yeah, that's that's our book talk for today. Book talk, book talk. And you know, well, I've I've enjoyed this. Yes, it was. It has been most refreshing to to travel travel the road less traveled, at least by us, as far as talking strictly culture related things. Yep. So you know, we'll we'll wrap it up with another yep. um pop culture-ish episode next week and yeah i think personally and i think jack would agree even though i thought of it i think <laughs> it's going to be an interesting one and i'm not telling and he better not tell me either and we're not telling y'all so yeah y'all just y'all just have to tune in so and then the week after that is the big showdown we're going to see whose strain of pot is more powerful snoop dogs or willie nelson's pow pow <laughs> just kidding <laughs> but that would be fun that would be that would be hilarious actually <laughs> it would be absolutely hilarious but yeah now seriously next week should be interesting and i'm looking forward to it indeed i are too this whole this whole um this whole series on has been pretty pretty interesting so yeah i've enjoyed this very much it's it's nice to although obviously <clears throat> The concerns, the greater concerns of the world do not escape us. They never do. But every now and then, we can laugh and smile. You know what? Taking care of your mental health is important. Yeah. That's an important part of helping people. If your mental health is not good, you can't help other people. And watch a movie, read a book, listen to some music. That helps your mental health. And then you can go about the world and be a happier, better you. That's it. And may. It may sound simple, but listen, some of the best things are the simplest. Yeah, that's true. We, I think a lot of us spend a whole lot of time overthinking and we, we skip right past the most basic stuff. We got to get back to it, folks. We got to get back to basics. Yep. Yep. And, and with the basics, if you would, we would be most honored if you would like, share, subscribe, give a rating, whatever your podcasting platform does. That helps us in the algorithm of whatever podcasting platform you use get recommended to others, which increases the reach of our podcast. You can also check us out on the social medias. Just do a search for Kenyatta and Jack and you will find us somewhere. And also, if you would like to help us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash hyperfocuspods and you can buy us a coffee. Jingle, jingle. So with that, I am going to say bye. Adieu.